All right, we continue on, and this is our last Sunday in the letter of First John. It's a small letter kind of near the back of the Bible, uh, but it did make the cut, so it is worth reading. Um, so if you ever uh, want some good material, uh, go way back to the back of the Bible. And, um, you know, I, sometimes I wonder about John in, in this letter he just keeps saying the same things over and over and over again. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a pig that like wallers around in the mud, you know? And so what John is doing is he's, he's making us waller around in the same thing. And that's really a good way to think about the Word of God, right, Marcy? She's giving me the look. Is, is we need to waller around in it and just like let it get on us and let it get in us and, and let it soak because we don't read the Bible just for some mere information that we take and we put in a box and we go and live our lives. No, the Word of God must, it must soak into us. It must get all over us because we read the Bible for transformation. And you have to immerse yourself in it with a humble heart and mind so that it begins to change the way that we think. That God, through the scriptures, uh, begins to form and shape who we are by shaping the way we think, but by also shaping what we do in our lives and how we respond to the things of life and whatever life throws our way. So one of the things that John is doing here is he is showing the people of God that he's writing to how to live as a people of the resurrection. And really all the New Testament writers are doing this because when Jesus came and he died and was raised to new life, he became the firstborn of a new thing that God was doing. The resurrected body of Jesus Christ is the first fruits of a new creation, the kind of creation that God will bring to consummation when heaven and earth are reunited uh, and heaven comes down to earth and there's a new heaven and a new earth as promised to us in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. But we're in that in-between time. So we are encouraged and commanded, if you will, to be a people of the resurrection. Well, what does that look like? Well, according to 1 John, it means that we're a people of the light. It means that we are to bring our hearts and our minds before God. We're to be honest with God and that we're to be honest with one another in that process as well. We are a people of the light. Therefore, we are a people of the truth. It means that we learn to be a people who do not sin. John says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Most of us have probably grown up believing, well, I have to sin because I'm a sinner. Well, John's writing that we don't commit sins. John Wesley would call this not sinning in the sense of not committing a transgression to a known law of God. So as far as our awareness, we have the power by the Holy Spirit to resist sin. It's also an invitation to purify ourselves. If we do sin, we can confess our sins to God. And when we do so, we receive grace and forgiveness. That's called purifying ourselves. It's making ourselves more pure. We're becoming a new kind of people in that process. And then it's also keeping the valves open. The valve of God's love to us so that God's love gets poured out into our hearts, but also the valve of loving others, so that that, that love doesn't grow stagnant or cold. There's, there's never an end to God's love supply for us, and therefore, as we love others, God's love continues to reflect, refresh us and replenish us. We've looked at how God's holiness is tied to His love. 
It's not that God's love is over here and His holiness is something big and high to be achieved over here, but God's love is always a holy love. And God's holiness is always a loving holiness. They go together and both are necessary for us to grow up into who God is calling us to be as mature disciples of Christ. And then last week we finally talked about how God's commandments are not burdensome. That God isn't just calling you to live a burden-filled life and following Jesus is just one more thing you got to do with your life. It's not just about, you know, staying, uh, trying to reach some kind of moral bar, but there's something about the calling of God on our life that is meant to free us from burdens. It's not meant to be overly burdensome. And so today we come to the final chapter here in John chapter 5. And he's uh, kind of trying to land this plane a little bit, if you will. Or, or maybe the pig is just ready to get out of the pen because uh, he's done enough wallowing around. And he starts using this language about water and blood and spirit. And he says, Jesus came by the water and he came by the blood. Not just the water alone, but the water and the blood. What in the world does that mean? Well, one of the things that the writers of the Bible do in the early church is they try to make sure the church doesn't uh, get off track about who God is and what God has done and what he has done in Jesus. And when a church gets off track in doing that in terms of belief, we call that heresy. Heresy is a belief that is not a true Christian belief. One of the major heresies in the early church is the heresy called adoptionism. Adoptionism believes that Jesus was not really God in the flesh. That even though he was born to Mary and Joseph, he wasn't really God until God in the baptism of Jesus, till God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The adoptionists would believe that that was the moment that God adopted Jesus, and it's only then that Jesus became God's son. What that means is Jesus never really was fully God. He was never God all the time or God in the flesh. And what that kind of does in that theology is it allows someone to kind of slip out the back door when it comes to the time of reflecting on the crucifixion. So the, the water piece by water and the blood the water piece represents the baptism as jesus was baptized into water but john says look it's not just that the water but it's the water and the blood it's not just the baptism but but god in jesus christ is is fully manifested in his blood as well in his death that this is actually god on a cross if you will that's the magnitude of the love of the sacrifice that God made for us. God just didn't delegate. He didn't just send a proxy to go down to earth and, and give us life. No, God assumed human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. That's the solidarity that God has expressed to us, the human race. And so... Not by water only, but also the water and the blood. Jesus Christ came into the fullness of the flesh. And that's an essential part of what it means for God to have expressed his love for us. But First John says there's another one. There's not just the water and the blood, but there's three that testify. The water, the blood, and the spirit. 
Well, if the water is the baptism of Christ, where we see his identity revealed, and if the blood is his death, then the Spirit is the resurrection. Often you might hear some churches talking about Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's so very, very true. However, that's kind of the end of the story for some some people. They don't do much after that. Well, the resurrection is just as important as a crucifixion and the economy of salvation. We have to have a good balance between resurrection and crucifixion. We have to have a both and. To have a crucifixion but no resurrection just means that, that God did make a sacrifice, but that he really didn't overcome the powers of sin and death. To have a resurrection without a crucifixion means that you just kind of jump over that crucifixion. And that means God really didn't enter into the fullness of the human condition. God can only overcome sin and death if he took sin and death on personally. He got into the ring, he took on sin and death, and he overcame sin and death by allowing death to happen to him. So the Spirit is about the resurrection into the new life. We step back and we look at the economy of God's salvation. We see that God did it all. He did it all. He became one of us. He died on a cross and He was raised from the dead. And the letter says that all three of these testify. The Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. For we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. When uh, Moses was commanded by God to rescue the children of Israel out of Egypt, he brought them out, and God then gave Moses instructions on Mount Sinai, and he gave him the law. And the law isn't just a bunch of rules that they were supposed to follow. The law was the heart of how they were to live in a covenant relationship with God. If you can stick to this law, you are staying in right relationship with me, says God. And so God gives Moses the law, and as a summation of that law, he has the Ten Commandments, and it's on two different tablets. And on those tablets, God uh, has Moses put them inside this um, little box called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is meant to contain uh, the very presence of God. And the Ark of the Covenant goes into the middle of the tabernacle space called the Holy of Holies, And nobody could go into the Holy of Holies. This was kind of an untouchable thing. And that is in the midst of the tabernacle, which later became the temple. Well, that ark is called the Ark of Testimony. And those tablets are called the Tablets of Testimony. Exodus 25, 21, God says to Moses, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And then he goes on and he says, he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone written with the finger of God. The testimony of God, the law of God was put in a box in the holy holies in the temple. We have verse 10, 1 John chapter 5 says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the 
testimony in himself. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in herself. The very presence of God. You see, in the Old Testament, before Jesus, the presence of God was understood to be existing in a place like the temple or like the tabernacle before the temple. That, that God said, hey, this is the space that I will dwell in. But after Jesus and after the sending of the Holy Spirit, a new understanding emerged that the temple or the tabernacle isn't just a building external to us, but the temple is who we are. Paul says it himself. Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? What's the definition of a temple? It's the place where God dwells. We were made to be the place where God dwells. Not this room, but you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit speaks the truth because the Spirit is the truth. What that means is those of us who believe in Jesus and follow Him with our lives have the Spirit of truth already inside of us. This means that we can live our lives from the inside out. All right, we're going we're gonna to say this together, okay? We're going to say inside out, all right? We're going to go third grade, second grade, third grade Sunday school here. All right, I want you to say it with me. Inside out. One, two, three. Inside out. All right, good. It's kind of dark out there. I just want to make sure we're all staying engaged. The Spirit is meant to dwell inside. The resurrection life is an inside-out kind of life. What that means is that we're not just here trying to follow a bunch of external rules. We're not just here trying to follow Jesus by doing a bunch of stuff. It means that instead of that, we're allowing God to get inside of us, to penetrate our hearts, and to change us deep down. And as God changes us in the deeper places, what emerges out of us is new behavior, new thoughts, new desires, a new way of living. So that the desires of God's heart become the desires of our heart. So that the law of God is not something external to ourselves, but that the law of God is written on our hearts. How often in our life, instead, do we try to live an outside-in kind of life? Think about your life. Think about the challenges in your life. Maybe it's challenges in your family. Maybe it's challenges at school. Maybe it's challenges at work. Could be in your neighborhood. Could be in your friendships. We all, to some degree, experience challenges and resistance in our lives. How do we, what's our default way of trying to deal with those challenges? I have to confess, my first way of dealing with challenges is I try to fix them myself. I try to, to get someone to behave a certain way. Or I try to make a decision based upon simply my own logic and my own thinking. And usually it's not until my life gets too overwhelming and, and just too much for me to bear that I will finally say, God, this is too much for me. I need some help. That's, that's called living outside in. 
until God allows us to be so frustrated with that way of life that it drives us to our knees. But what if we lived inside out? What if the first thing we did was not try to fix and manage everything in our lives and make all these decisions? What if the first thing we did was get on our knees and pray to God? Say, God, I just give it all to you. You have placed your spirit inside of me. Grant me your faith. Grant me your wisdom. And do what you need to do in the world around me. I know I can't fix it all. That's living inside out. When we go to God first, rather than as kind of the backup plan or the the last ditch effort. The spirit of God inside our hearts Instead of trying to be in control, we give control to God. Instead of striving and trying to make everything happen in our life our way, we just let God have His way in our life. Instead of trying to manage everything ourselves, we say, God, would you do something about this? Instead of being like slaves, we accept that we are children. That we accept that God really does love me. God really does have good plans for me. And because I believe that in faith, I'm going to ask God to intervene in my life. Inside out. What kind of life are you living? Are you living an outside-in life or an inside-out life? Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. When we place our faith in Jesus, we have his spirit inside of us. What is it that you need to stop trying to fix in your life and just trust in God with? What is it? Think of one thing in your life. It's it's just... Maybe it's bothering you. Maybe it's wearing you down. What is it that that you just need to say, Lord, I give it to you because I trust in you more than I trust in me. We all have these things. I challenge you. I challenge you to let God have it. And somewhere in here, When we have the testimony inside ourselves, we have the very word of God, we have the very law of God in us, our life begins to speak in a different way. Through our life, we will testify to the goodness of God because the testimony inside ourselves will come out of us in our words and in our actions. Oh, that we would be those people look different and act different and think different and are different in an anxious ridden world what is it that you need to let go of so that you can trust the spirit of Christ in you I invite you to pray with me that Jesus would be stronger here than the world is out there in our lives